Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all, through all and in all. But to each of us, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except also, except that he also descended to lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Amen. Let us pray. We come to hear you speak to us, God. We come to hear you encourage us and enable us. We come because you have loved us with an everlasting love and you long to enfold us in your arms and to equip us and encourage us in our faith. Through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. A few years ago, I was lucky to go to South Africa for a week's or so holiday. And while we were there, we were in the southern part of South Africa. So, you know, you have to go on a wine tour, don't you? You just have to go just to support that local economy. You know, uh, you know. so that's, that's, we done that. We suffered, you know, so that we could um, help the local South Africans. And while we were on this journey, our African guide was telling us the history of uh, South Africa it made me feel a little bit guilty about being British, 
it made me a little bit guilty about being British. I am. But then it was also an amazing place to be. One of the stops on the tour was Worcester Prison, where the dramatic walk of freedom of Nelson Mandela happened. That long-awaited walk, do you remember watching it on TV in February? It was supposed to have started at one and it just didn't happen until everything was right. And it took ages. And he had that long walk to freedom. That long walk to freedom became the title of Nelson Mandela's book. To quote a reviewer, riveting memoirs of the outstanding moral and political leader of our time. A long walk to freedom brilliantly recreates the drama of the experiences that helped shape Nelson Mandela's destiny. Emotive, compelling and uplifting. A long walk to freedom is the exhilarating story of an epic life, a story of hardship, resilience, an unlimited triumph, told with the clarity and eloquence of a born leader. That life, a long, impactive walk, his character, the way he chose to be, the way he led the people of South Africa, which impacted the country, the world, and changed the narrative of the people around him. This morning, I walked to church. And I normally walk to church unless I'm really, really late. And as I was walking, I thought, I know where I'm going. And I ended up a cul-de-sac. And I had to go all the way back. Well, it wasn't that far back because I didn't go to the end of the cul-de-sac. I know this is a cul-de-sac. I went, oh, no. I thought I knew where I was going. But I got lost. Our letter and our reading is from the book of Ephesians, which Paul is writing to them and to the surrounding area. In his latter years, he's sort of imprisoned in Rome. His life is running out. He sends this letter of love to express encouragement that the congregation might be different. Paul had visited Ephesus three times. Do you remember that first visit? where he becomes embroiled with the silversmith Demetrius. They were losing income and a riot ensued. Paul escaped with his life and moved on to Macedonia. Do you remember that one? Great is Diana of the Ephesians. The big shouts, the call of the people. Ephesus itself was a large prosperous port city the city of Artemis or Diana, the fertility goddess of both Rome and Greece. There was a temple which was a place of refuge for those who needed protection from vengeance. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It also was a Roman stadium of its time. Ephesus also was a city where people came to get healed, to pick up talismans and to express, ex, ex, sorry, access divination. 
It also had to be a wealthy place and a place of wisdom and learning. Although during this time, you know, that big, great picture of the library at Ephesus, it hadn't been built. It was a plan. It was coming online sometime soon. And in the book of Acts, chapter 19, where Paul accesses Ephesus and starts preaching and starts leading them, those people who believe in Jesus bring all their books. They bring their divination books, they bring their spell books, and they bring them and they toss them on a fire. And in Acts chapter 19, it says that those books were worth around 50,000 pieces of silver. Heck of a lot of money, isn't it? I didn't look what the equivalent would be in today's uh, rate. So the people of Ephesus who became Christians were committed and worked out their life of faith. And it was personally and collectively impactive on that community. But also the church of Ephesus was part of those seven churches of Asia that John wrote to. And in his section to the church at Ephesus, this is what Paul says to them, uh, John says to them, you have lost your first love. Personally, this book has been an inspiration to me. It became more important when I was introduced to Watchman Nee's exposition of the book in a, of Ephesus called Sit, Walk, Stand. Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor and church leader in around the times of the Chinese Troubles and there from 1920 to 1972. He was a difficult character. He believed that God would provide all his needs. He would be strong on what his views were. And those were based on his experience of Ephesians, which was sit and understand God, walk with God and stand and defend your beliefs. But here, as we look at Ephesians, Paul is writing to them with greetings of warm affection, with a strong reminder that they are of the Ephesians' faith and grace from which derives their work and their relationship and their love of the apostle. He writes reminding them of God's love and grace for them. He encourages them to reflect on the idea that now that Jesus is in an exalted position, so are they, for they are united in Christ. If Jesus is seated in the heavenly realms, so are you, Paul tells them. Because of their spiritual relationship with Jesus, and this should influence the way they live. All of God's resources is at hand to enable them to understand who they are in God and to live out a life that is an expression of their faith. Once I was given a very expensive bottle of aftershave. It was very expensive, especially for me. It wasn't mine, it was given to me. And it sat on my bathroom shelf. 
and I only used it on high days and holidays until I realized that I'm special and I could enjoy it myself. Not just to put it on and someone to say, oh, you smell nice, Nigel. I used that perfume to enhance my life, to make me different, to give me courage, to embolden me and to challenge me. In chapter six, Paul turns to the struggles of life and completing the walk of faith and encouraging the church to stand firm. You know, it's the armor of God passage. And when you've put all these things on to stand, to be firm, to be resolute. But in chapter four and chapter five, Paul is asking them to walk, to have a purpose. This purpose is to express the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God that they have been shown and that they must live out in the community where they are so that God could draw in other people into this relationship. In these passages, Paul uses Psalm 68, the triumphal Psalm. Although not correctly, he misquotes it. So that makes me feel good sometimes when I misquote scripture. And it reminds the reader of that triumphal procession after a battle. Perhaps not the image that we as a congregation would want to consider, although Paul uses their lived experience of the people in Ephesus to relate to when Jesus ascended to be with God. So they would have seen these processions. They would have experienced a, a victor coming back with the trophies and the trials and the triumphs and the gifts. And so he uses that to demonstrate the truth that when Jesus ascended into heaven, we received gifts. And what made me really smile as I was preparing the sermon is that some of those gifts, and you might not agree with this, are apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and prophets. I can think of a few pastors that I wouldn't want to put in that gift, in those gift categories. And I can think of some that were amazing. And God has given them to the church so that we might be prepared in works of kindness and love and mercy. These were to build the church, not just us, but to bring numbers in, to bring people in, to encourage good work. Paul's walk had a purpose. Paul's walk, as he expresses it in Jesus, has a destination. And Paul's walk, that he's encouraging his church to have, has a character. The purpose is that the church would be united. 
in love and in peace. The destination was growth as individuals and as a congregation, and then the church in the community. The character of the walk was long-suffering. It's translated as patience in the church Bibles. But I like the word long-suffering. It makes me think that, you know, you've got a lot to do. Patience is often a card game in my mind. But for this unity, this purpose of the gifts that God has given to the church, it's interesting that Paul does not say we have to work at being united. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we have to live and experience. The unity of the church is already there. The unity of the church is a given. If you are in Christ, you are united with your brothers and sisters in Christ. The unity is there. What we have to do is to keep that unity, to work with each other, to encourage one another, engage one another, love one another, speak truth to one another, that that unity might grow and develop and that we might be seen, as Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This unity and this love express to the world what the church is about should be a magnet. The church, it should be a magnet that draws people into the building and into our circles. You know, when we're having our picnic, you and we're sitting there and people are around us, they should be saying, oh, look at that wonderful crowd of people. Look how diverse they are. Look how, how loving they are to one another and want to know what's special about us. What's different about us? The destination is growth. Each one of the gifts the apostles, the preachers, the teachers are given to the church to encourage growth personally. It says, you know, later on that, you know, the body grows together, every ligament, everything, <coughs> and every bone. In this passage where Paul is talking about uh, for the church, building up for the church, the word is about resetting a bone, putting it back together. Mending it, repairing it. The teachers are there to mend, repair, to build, to encourage, to enable us to be the people that God has called us to be. And as I said, the character of this walk is long-suffering. When my uh, children were young, we generally went on camping holidays. And because, you know, there's not a lot to do as the evenings are drawing in around the camp um, and you don't want them disturbing the neighbors because they're running around and being boisterous, we would go for a walk. 
and those walks would last two hours at least. And so now whenever I mention let's go for a walk, my now adult children, is it one of your short walks, Dad? They generally weren't a destination. It was, where can we go? How can we get there? Let's keep them occupied. Let's get them tired. Let's get them to sleep. That's what their intention was. And so I, I know, that's why I like those words, long-suffering, because I can, I can see my children now going, oh, how far we got to go? What else? How long? When are we going to get back? Not, they didn't say, are oh, we nearly there yet? That was the good thing on the walks. That was in the car, wasn't it? But they, but we need to be long-suffering with each other. We need to be patient with each other. There are differences. There are issues. People can rub us up the wrong way. And people are forgiving and caring of us. And we need to be like that with other people. So when we're walking our life of faith together as a fellowship, we have to know where we're going. We have to understand where we've been. And we have to put up with each other, suffer one another, be kind to one another, communicate that love, that compassion, that understanding that God has given to us, that idea of how we have been loved unconditionally. And we need to present that to each other and also to the world around us. We need to be inclusive and encouraging and enabling. The walk as a Christian is not easy. When Nelson Mandela came out of the prison, when he got to the point where he was going to make his announcement, his speech. Interestingly, he declared his commitment to peace and reconciliation with the white minority. But he made it clear that the ANC's armed struggle was not over and would continue as purely a defensive action against the violence of apartheid. He expressed hope that the government would agree to negotiations so that there will be no longer the need for the armed struggle and insisted that his main focus was to bring peace to the black majority and give them the right to vote in national and local elections. That long walk, that walk with a destination 
that walk with character. When we look at Nelson Mandela, we see those things. When we look at Paul, we see those things. When we look at ourselves, do we see those things? Can we change? Can we be different? Can we be encouragers and enablers and, in, and inclusive and forgivers and builders up of the body of Christ? Can we be those things? God has given us the gifts. God has given us the talents. We're not an untalented group of people. I think we have to recognize that perhaps there are those difficulties and we need to work with each other. Encouraging and enabling each other as we move on together as a fellowship. Provoking faith. In the city. Jean is now going to bring our prayers of intercession. Our Bible reading this morning uh, focused not only on us as individuals, but also as part of the body of Christ, a unity. So in our prayers of intercession, I want to focus on that idea, praying particularly for us as the Bloomsbury congregation. At the end of each short section, I invite you to join with me. I will say, we are the body of Christ, and please respond with, may we grow in his love. We are the body of Christ, may we grow in his love. So let us pray. Loving God, creator and sustainer of all. As we come to you this morning, we remember that each of us is part of your body that you have made us, and that it is your spirit which binds us together, giving the hope to which you called us. We bring before you now the outcome of the decisions which we have recently had to make concerning the future of the church. You are aware that these were not easy decisions, and both the process and the outcome have caused quite a degree of concern in many. We ask that you will give us your peace as we put these plans into action. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. We pray particularly for those whose jobs have been affected by these decisions, whose lives will now take a different direction and we ask that you will continue to be with them, showing them the way to go and giving them the strength they need for the future. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. We pray too for the ministers, officers and deacons as they continue to search for the best ways forward as these plans are put into action. We recognize that there are often differences of opinion, but we know that we all are seeking to find your way. May your spirit continue to guide the discussions that are yet to be held and the implementation 
of the decisions that are made. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. We pray for all those who worship here together with us, whether in the church, on Zoom, Facebook or YouTube. Give us all the recognition that we are one body in you. Help us to see and appreciate the different gifts that each of us brings to the whole as we work together to build up the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. We pray for the various groups that used to meet before the onset of the pandemic. We think of exchange, the home groups, Sunday club and Tuesday lunch. The future of these is still unclear. Show us what should emerge and how they should function. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. We pray also that we may continue to put into practice our various concerns for, it, for justice in this country and in the wider world. We pray for homeless people, especially those known to us and whom we haven't been able to see for some 18 months, that they may find long-term sources of support and solutions to their problems. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. We pray for those countries that don't have the resources to deal with COVID, that those of us in the richer world may find the political will to help. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. And we pray for those who've been forced to leave their homes fleeing war or famine, who are struggling to find a better life, many of whom are risking all to cross the channel to reach our country. We ask that our government may indeed find a more humane way to support these people than it is currently doing. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. The letter to the Ephesians reminds us that when each separate part works as it should, the whole body grows, building itself up through love. Sustainer God, we pray that that may be so for us. We are the body of Christ. May we grow in his love. Amen. And a blessing. Peace to the whole community and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be with us all. Amen. Amen. <laughs>